Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. He has a look on his face like this whole site was court-ordered. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everyone to the Cultaholic Classic Raw review as the other Cultaholic lads get ready to see who will survive out of Raw, SmackDown and NXT. We are here via our Ica Pro powered DeLorean seeing who will survive between mid-card WWF roster and a very tired fan base after a long taping. And who be we? I be Fake Geordie, radio presenter without portfolio, former Cultaholic heavyweight champion Tom Campbell. I am joined by the bear in the big blue bar cage who celebrated National Pen Day by smashing up 10,000 pencils of multiple bees because he doesn't need them. He has a pen because he gets it right every time. Head pen, a cultaholic, Justin Henry. And he is from off of America. I swing football helmets at pencils. Oh, mate, I'm just catching up with all this. This is crazy stuff from football from off of America. <clears throat> well, it actually does tie into this show because I uh, recorded this on a Friday morning at about 10 a.m. my time. And last night, <clears throat> I was going to watch Raw around midnight my time and then go to bed at 1 in the morning, wake up at 9, and then do this lovely show here. When the end of that game last night between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns ended with that melee, which... Even if you are across the pond, I'm sure you may have heard about by now. It was a top top Twitter trend, and it's so bad that that uh, various other violent athletes are now trending on Twitter as we speak, including Happy Gilmore. Really? Well, Happy Gilmore had that had that great oh, line in the movie. Of course. It says, "I played junior hockey and I still hold two league records: most time spent in the penalty box, and I was the only player to ever take off his skate and try to stab somebody." <laughs> Who'd have thought we'd be talking about a film like that and a situation like that in 2019? What's going to happen to this guy? He's probably going to get suspended at the very least, probably a very hefty fine. I mean, it's I mean, pushing and shoving is one thing in football. You know, your your competitors, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a tense environment. You know, tempers flare up, it happens. But the poor guy's helmet off his own head and swing it out there like it's a friggin' mace. That's, um, yeah, you might want to sit down for a while after that. Jeez. Even his own teammates after the game were like saying, yeah, that's inexcusable. He shouldn't have done that. Oh. It's like to say the least. 
Bloody heck. Ridiculous times. Ridiculous. Anyway, we've got to not talk about that because that is down to some other news writers to talk about. We, sir, are in our time machine. We're in the Ica Power DeLorean going all the way back to 1994. What year, when and where are we this week, Justin? Well, you said 1994, so already <laughs> you, you caught that. that. You caught that. You're on the ball this morning, sir. Well, this is interesting because I do not know the name of this building officially because it appears it's not actually recorded anywhere, so to speak. Uh, this aired on May 2nd, 1994. It was taped six nights earlier on a Tuesday, April 26th in Burlington, Vermont. So that's, so that's a new state we can cross off our list here. But Vince said the building is called Green Mountain State, which as far as I know, it, it, as far as I know, it, it's not the name of the actual venue. But um, I think uh, the history of WWE.com uh, results archive actually has it listed at, has that listed as the name of the venue. But yet I can't find what's actually called. It's just I mean Green Mountain State is Vermont's nicknames like how how Jersey's the Garden State, Pennsylvania's the Keystone State. Mm-hmm. They're the Green Mountain State. <laughs> this building is not called the Green Mountain State. I do not believe. No. So it's a mystery as as what this venue actually is, although. I do know it is square and it is very small. <laughs> Maybe it got demolished and replaced by a car park. I stayed in a hotel once that met a similar fate to that that was so bad that where I, I found some dead cheap mistake because I was working the next day. So I found a hotel that cost me 15 English pounds. And it was basically everything you'd expect from a hotel room that cost 15 English pounds. It got to the point where I had a, I had a chair against the door because the lock on the door had been ruined by people trying to break into the room, which was nice. Uh, I also heard somebody on desk asking how many hours they could stay for. So that was good as well. I picked a really nice part of Wolverhampton. If you're listening and you know formerly the Fox Hotel, you won't know it anymore because it is now a car park. It was that bad. They just destroyed the building. Did blood pour out of the elevator? Do you know what? If I was brave enough to have got that shanky, shonky lift, then I would have been able to tell you. But I just thought, I saw one look at the lift that smelt a bit peculiar, and I thought, I'm just going to take the stairs. It's only three floors. That's fine. Was not a fan of that lift. Did Lloyd, the bartender, uh, offer you a beer in exchange for uh, murdering your uh, loved ones? Somebody asked if I wanted breakfast in the morning, and uh, I saw an entire shelf of tin beans and some really sad looking bacon sat out on a plate in the open and i thought you know what i'm all right i'm good for breakfast in the morning i like you lloyd you're the <laughs> best damn bartender from here to portland oregon what <laughs> mean for that matter oh if it had been that lloyd we'd have been fine <laughs> but if this venue right here in vermont was the it wouldn't be a car park it'd be a, it'd be a lone parking space i think Oh, well, well we, hey, look, if you can give us any insight into this building, we'd love to hear it. At JRH Writing on Twitter, at Tom Campbell on Twitter. Uh, a few notes from the Wrestling Observer before we get into the rigours of this week's Cultaholic Classic Raw review. Uh, Charles Austin uh, was in the news. Uh, he was awarded $26.7 million by the WWF after being nearly paralysed in December 1990. Do you remember the story of Charles Austin, Justin? Uh, the match never aired, but I've seen the video on YouTube because it was part of one of those news magazine shows a few years later. And um, it is not a pretty image at all. What had happened was Austin was this inexperienced enhancement talent who was teaming with Lanny Poffo, the genius. 
in a squash versus the Rockers. It's kind of weird that Lanny Poffo was in this match since he was well-known. But the finish was Marty supposed to hit Marty Janae supposed to hit him with a rocker dropper. And it's supposed to lead to like a you know a topper finish from the Rockers. All now, if you've seen a rocker dropper, it's just it's a famous sir, but with the arm hook that Marty does all the time. And you're supposed to just you know you're supposed to just do it like a pancake bump, just lay from just land flat on your face. You know, you take the bump on your elbows, knees, whatever. Charles Austin tried to do a forward roll and landed right on top of his friggin' head, and everything just went completely limp. Like it was like a crash dummy. It was like instant paralysis. It was and, 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 and there's a... So they went to the finish where Sean flew off the top rope onto him. Didn't hook his leg because he knew, okay, something's wrong here. Um, and then that, that was it. The match never aired for obvious reasons, and Austin sued the company. And uh, he got his payout, $26.7 million. All he had to do uh, was take a simple uh, stomach bump. Uh, he was told it was a piece of cake and to take a forward roll. Hence why what happened happened, and hence why he became a millionaire as a result of it. But that's a terrible... It's Honestly, please don't seek out the footage, because Justin watched it, and for journalistic reasons, I found it and watched it too. It's horrible. Made me really... Made me cringe. Made me cringe. Yeah, it's... Um, it's... It's not a pretty sight, although it is debatable as to whether or not he was told to take the forward roll. Because why would you tell him to do that when if it's not going to end well for him? What kind of a rib would that be? No, it just whether whether or not they weren't paying attention during the the setting up of the match, whether somebody miscommunicated. It feels I think from what I gather, he was told to take a forward roll, or at least he believes he was told to take a forward roll. Either way, it's horrible. Uh, it reminds me of the clip uh, not long after that, a few years later. The Beverly Brothers were in a squash match against someone. I'm sure I've showed you this clip before. Of the guy taking the Shaker Heights spike landing right on his head. Oh, God, you've shown me. It's horrible. Yes. I, I, if you've never seen that move, it's um, the Shaker Heights spike is actually a really cool move. Uh, Blake Beverly backdrops you. and or, 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 I should say he, he alley-oops you up into the air as you run at him. And Bo Beverly jumps up, grabs you by the head, hits like this elevated X-Factor type move. So... You get face spiked from a great height, and this poor jobber goes up, cuts a forward roll, and Bo can't uh, straighten him out in time, and he just like basically just pile drives him out of the air, and it's not a pretty sight, and it's a miracle he even found his feet after that. Jeez, jeez, jeez. Uh, it's a scary business. Also from the Wrestling Observer uh, this particular week, uh, Glenn Jacobs and the Bruce Brothers are working in WWC in Puerto Rico. Glenn Jacobs, future politician. I know, right? And uh, and future potential Hall of Famer. Surely a Hall of Famer at some point. Oh, absolutely. He's uh, so the company for over twenty years. He's got to be in the Hall of Fame. And the Bruce Brothers, future major investors in in TNA wrestling slash Impact Wrestling. Yes, that would be Ron and Don Harris, also future bikers, <laughs> and among other things. <laughs> yes, they've had various roles over the years. Uh, also in WCW, King Haku has debuted as Rob Parker's bodyguard, Meng. Ah, Meng, the scariest man walking the face of the earth. <laughs> and uh, as time of writing, uh, there was some retaping going on uh, for WCW at center stage to replace Barry Windham, who has left the company ahead of a major championship match within WCW. He did work the match, though. Yes, he did. But... But it was not a great match, and Wyndham was kind of out of shape for it. Yeah, he came and he went, unfortunately. Came and he went. You know, went. 
story behind that match is it was Ric Flair defending the world title against a mystery opponent, and he announced it was a six foot seven inch blonde former world champion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they would tell you. Wink, I like wink. what they did there. I like what they did there. <laughs> you cheeky, cheeky devils. Um, I'm not sure when he was eating his vitamins at that point, though, or training. This is a bit Maybe. like this is a bit like in uh, on an episode of SmackDown recently that myself and Matthew have talked about, where uh, Sean Shane McMahon told Triple H he was facing that bald-headed sob, and it turned out to be Gilberg. Well, he's he's not wrong. Absolutely, he is all those things: bald-headed and an sob. How dare you? Have you, ever met, have, you, have you ever met Mama Gilbert? Do you know what? I've not had the pleasure. And she's he a very do, lovely lady. He did a video for us at North Wrestling, based in Newcastle, where I work as the ring announcer. We had our anniversary, our three-year anniversary mm. just gone. And we mm. asked a few of you wrestlers from North's past and present to do happy birthday messages. And somehow, someone got a message from Dwayne Gill Wishing North a happy birthday. We have never booked Dwayne Gill. We have never contacted Dwayne Gill. But there he was on the big screen at the Riverside <laughs> in Newcastle wishing North Wrestling a happy third anniversary. He went on so for about two with... minutes. It was brilliant. Yeah, but tell you what's wrong with that. Dwayne Gill's that's you know, former heavyweight champion for over a year. I Man. met him when I was 15. Oh, what was he like? Nice. Yeah. Polite. <laughs> that's, that's all I remember. <laughs> If I tell you, if I tell you that in 2019 he probably got the biggest pop of the night, would you be surprised? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> he certainly did, mate. He certainly did. The sheer genius of his Titantron video at, at at the 98 Survivor Series when he was Foley's mystery opponent—it's just him taking everybody's finishing move, like the, <laughs> Marty hitting with a rocker dropper appropriately enough, Snooker hitting with a superfly splash. It's hilarious. What an absolute boy! What an absolute boy! Anyway. Did, that was a Jim Ross's great line. He spends more time on the canvas than Rembrandt. Wasn't that Jerry Lawler line? And that was JR. Uh, it was JR back when he cared about commentary. How dare you? He still cares today. Oh, not after what I heard on Dynamite, mate. He didn't. Do you know what? Like, okay, okay, I'm being facetious. Like, I've listened to Dynamite quite a few times. I've watched Dynamite a few times. And, and it's great to have Jim Ross back in that feature position. I'll be honest, mate. This past Wednesday, didn't sound like he really wanted to be there. Hey, man, watch... Uh... Watch Full Gear. Him and I thought him and Excalibur did a great job together. Yeah, he was on fire at Full Gear. Maybe he was a bit tired on Wednesday. It's possible. I mean, it's Nashville. You know, there's a lot of. You know, he may have had that show before of Dynamite. That um show at Zaxby's or whatever it is. So he may have um had a long day potentially. Yeah, quite likely. Quite likely. I shan't do him any more of a disservice. And Jr. is the all-time greatest. Let us move on to this week's episode of Monday Night Raw from May the 2nd, 1994, in unnamed venue. Yes, uh, Burlington, Vermont, we have a title match tonight. The Hedgehoggers are finally getting their tag team title shot at the Quebecers. And it's after that uh, that I officially wrote, this is one small-ass building. <laughs> so, so, we, so we jump right into the match. We're not wasting time here. Quebecers versus Hedgehoggers for the world tag team titles. Raven comes out with his tie undone for some reason. Like he just got to the venue two minutes before the, before showtime. He's like, just casual. He's just keeping it casual. He just gets there. All right, what is this? The uh, Libertarian fundraiser? What are we doing here? Oh, wrestling. Okay, got it. <laughs> He's also wearing shorts like some sort of half-ass Angus Young. It's a weird look, isn't it? The old tie short combo. It's a. It's also a little bit early nineties Pat McAfee. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Although, 
I can imagine Raven punting a ball, though. Yeah. <laughs> Have you I seen could... Pat McAfee's show? Mm, thankfully, no. Oh, it's great, because the, basically the set seems to be a shed that he just walks <laughs> around with a, with a wireless mic. I like the concepts of just doing the show where you're basically recording it in a house and just walking from the kitchen to the living room, just chilling. I love it. I, I gotta say, McAfee is growing on me a little bit, but I was so annoyed at him by him at first because he's just way too over the top energy wise. I mean, I like energy, but there's a but there is a limit. <laughs> Not my words, the words of a man who every week does a podcast with Tom Campbell from Cultaholic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, compared to Okay, compared to Pat McAfee, you're JR from Wednesday. Wow, that's an honor. <laughs> it is an honor. <laughs> and by that, I mean you sit between a guy with a mask and a guy who makes dick jokes on a podcast. <laughs> yes, Sid, shut up with the dick jokes. <laughs> Shivani Wicks. <laughs> what happened when? And she has that lot because, because she's like... Because she started watching about 10 years ago. Yeah. She, no, yeah. When she says, what happened when? She's she's seriously asking what happened when. Because she's like, like, very young. Yes. So Captain Lou's with the head shrinkers here. Which is kind of a weird anachronism, if that's, if that's a pronunciation. Because he was kind of a big star in the early 80s. And, and undoubtedly, Captain Lou was very important in that rock and wrestling connection. Because he's the one who befriended Cindy Lauper and got her involved. He's very, Captain, yeah, he's very much a part of that rock and wrestling connection. Captain Lou is just as important as Hulk Hogan and Mr. T, if not more so, if you really think about it. Yeah, very much forgotten about. He he was very much one that straddled sports and entertainment in, yes, in the 80s. Yeah, he did the video for uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. He played uh, Cindy Lauper's father in the video. And that carried over to WTV back in 1984. And then that started that feud where Captain Lou chose Moolah as, as his avatar, and Walper chose Wendy Richter. Led to that big TV special on MTV in 84. The uh, It was the brawl to end it all. It did a massive cable TV rating, and it started thrusting WWE into the limelight as part of its national expansion. That was just as important as any move Vince made, any talent he stole from the territories, anything Hogan did. Captain Lou deserves a lot of credit for where WWE is today. He, he was a major building block. But at this point in 1994, unfortunately, that relevance is uh, kind of lost on the audience. Like he's, he's still a fun and eccentric figure, but he, he doesn't have that gravity that he may have once had. No, no, he, he, he sadly doesn't. But he's, whatever, whatever sort of uh, gravitas he's got, he's trying to put on to the head shrinkers here. Yes, and Vince notes all the tag teams that He's led to the belts, and he actually name drops the Moon Dogs and the Yukon Lumberjacks. Jeez, some some <laughs> names there. Scatterly was called the guiding light because of all the tag teams that led to the gold. <laughs> so this is a match where you think these two teams would would blend very well because you have Pierre who will bump off of anything. You have the Headshrinkers who will bump off anything for guys their size. You have three big men in this match who bump like madmen, and it shows. A lot of bumping in this match. It, it's a, I remember watching this match years ago. Now, I don't watch... I didn't catch 1994 WWF, but I remember getting a Best of Monday Night Raw VHS, and this <clears> match was on there. So it's funny when this started up, I went, oh, I remember this match happening. 
Yeah, I think it was about, I think it was part of that 2010 set also, where it's like the best overall seasons one and two. It was like 93 and 94. Of course, they stopped after that because 95 would have been like a 20-minute DVD. <laughs> there was nothing. There was not much to shout about in 1995. No, there really wasn't. Other than maybe uh, maybe Sean Collette, pretty much it. <laughs> you can't really play that for several hours. Yeah. After a while, it kind of loses its novelty. Mm-hmm. It's a great spot here where uh, I, think, I think it's Fatu. Headbutts Pierre, and Pierre instead of just like you know taking like a normal bump, he goes completely stiff and just falls backwards to the mat, as if he is dead. Because because a headbutt from a head shrinker or a, a wild Simone of any sort is is borderline lethal. It is like getting hit in the head with a helmet. Yeah, I I always I always enjoyed that about. Uh, it's the one bit of law in wrestling that I love is carried through. Like all the way from the 80s through to modern day where we have a guy that works for, for North Wrestling and a few other promotions in the UK called TK Cooper. And if he hits you with a headbutt, you're done because he's a bit Samoan and that's the heritage there. But he's not Samoan, is he? No, he's, well, he's, he's, there's heritage there. That's enough. Hmm. It, it doesn't necessarily go through the direct bloodline. Okay. I see. So the Quebecers go for a powder at one point to just try to walk out because they can't beat these guys. And Vincent has to tell us, this is a ripoff. <laughs> so Hebner orders him back to the ring or they'll lose the belts. And he starts counting very fast. The power of Earl Hebner to do this. Not only to, you know, not only to weld this kind of authority, but to, but to count as fast as he did. This is his count. One, two, three. I mean, by this point, there are... They're already in New Hampshire because this building is so small. But they but they come running back, and it's like, what if they had slipped and fallen in the aisle way on the way back? Haven't had to start slowing down. Seven. Eight. It's, he was counting way too fast is my point. I seem to remember that I, don't, I, I wasn't even sure if they'd made the count when I first watched it. Like, I didn't think they actually made it into the ring in time. Like it was like, like a nanosecond maybe to spare. Yeah, they got back in the ring like, like, like barely and then slid back out again just to uh, you know, keep it going and regroup. Just as if to say to Hebner, slow down your count, man. It's like, Jesus. He does. Maybe, maybe Hebner had somewhere, had somewhere to be. Maybe he had the pee roll bed. <laughs> he just wants to get this match done. Exactly. There's a cool spot here where Samu had Pierre in an arm ringer and started headbutting his fingers. That was pretty funny. I like that. That was cool. Again, like the headbutt is the powerful move. So do it on any part of the body and you're winning. Exactly. You know, he, he can't grip you if, you, if, it, if his fingers are broken. Although, going back to your point about it, you know, how hard the Samoan heads are in wrestling, I got to take umbrage with that because there's a spot here where Jacques smashes Fatou's head into the ring steps and Fatou sells it. So what can hurt his head and what can't hurt his head? We need a little chart, don't we? Yeah, we need like the we need some continuity here to figure out what actually can hurt Fatu, or or just any any hard head of a of a Samoan wrestler in terms of stereotype here. I'm not saying that every Samoan head in the world is hard, but in wrestling, it sure seems to be the case. Is it a case of maybe steel hurts the head, but turnbuckle pads don't? To start us off, it's, poss- it's possible. And also, Shawn Michaels' skull can't hurt a Simone. Based on the 94 Rumble match, when Luger smashed Shawn and Fatu's heads together, and Shawn took a bump, but Fatu just stood there. 
<laughs> just bounces around for far too. Of course, Sean made that spot beautiful because Sean is he's like a ping pong ball just flies all over the place. Oh, he was he was the best in situations like that. He really was. Sean solved for everybody. He'd solve for you and me. He really would. Crowd chaining USA and Savage being as smart as he is, and in a rare moment of lucidity at this point for him. Is crowd chanting USA for American Samoa. There, I, I remember that's the one thing I remember from the video is him saying they're chanting for American Samoa. Of course they are, Savage. Of course they are. Well, it, it is a territory. Kind of where? That's close enough. Yeah, I mean that's one of like the five territories we have that Puerto Rico and. Yeah, I've I've watched matches where the heels been American or the heels been Canadian and the uh, the the face has been English and they still chant USA. <laughs> We got this thing. I'm a, I was, was going to make a revolutionary war joke, joke there, but I remember that half our audience is probably uh, from your, from your you, neck of the woods. Oh, huh? don't worry about it. We, we talk about the Battle of Trafalgar in this week's Wrestling Curiosities. Go for it, mate. Eh, nah, it was a... Let's just say we're friends now. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But my ancestors won. Oh, hey Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, enjoy, your, enjoy your dress rehearsal for Christmas. <laughs> wrong with that i nothing, love christmas mate, nothing mate you've got an excuse to have presents eat turkey and and drink too much in the middle of the week very jealous yeah. well <laughs> you can have turkey too you just gotta make a you just gotta commit to it yeah but i can't get a paid day off work for it can i well maybe you should um settle into another country and then uh i don't know um say i can't come back because i'm celebrating thanksgiving with america and you'd have, and I'd be offended if you made me come back. Just tell me your religious beliefs. I mean, who decides what religions are valid? I believe I should eat turkey now. Yeah, just tell them it's um, you know, just invent your own religion like cannibalism or something. Oh, maybe that's the thing. The twelve steps of cannibalism. That is a, that is a future project to work on. Although, although it does sound like cannibalism, so you got like you got to be careful how you say it. It's partly why I like it. <laughs> I'm saying it's tricky on a Thursday. It's delicious. Anyway, <laughs> Pierre in this match took some incredible bumps. He gets backdropped to the floor at one point. He holds onto the top rope with both hands, and he, he does a handstand for about one and a half seconds before falling to the floor like, like the absolute cannonball that he is. Just great here. He was so – they were all really good in this, actually. Samu works in the flying hangman spot where he flies at the ropes and gets hung upside down. This is about a month, about a month and a half after Foley lost his ear doing the same spot. Just, I, I, I wonder whether they just did it just to let him know, hey, look, look, we can do it too and not lose an ear. There you go. <laughs> you can't hurt a head shrinker's ear. <laughs> and then Jacques, not to be outdone. In case you ever thought that Jacques was like was weak or something, he picks up Samu for a pile driver. Samu's oh, didn't about this look amazing. Samu's at like like minimum two ninety, if not three hundred pounds outright. And Jacques turns Samu while he has him upside down positioned on his lower thighs, and walks with him toward the buckle. Jacques walks with the head trigger upside down and the power driver lift. That is strength. Just showing off, and he showing off his tower of strength. Because he's handsome, brave, and strong. Ah, so he's just coming true with his music. Yes, Fozzie the Bear. Uh-huh. 
Suddenly it's all come in the focus. <laughs> and, sp- and speaking of athletic ability, they have Samu down and they attempt the tower. That's the assisted knuckle lock senton move they do. I love that as well. P- when Jacques flips Pierre, Pierre hovers in the air for like two seconds before coming down. I don't know how the hell they did that. It almost feels like they do... They... they... It doesn't. They they look like they they do like a, an assisted headstand, an assisted handstand. If you know what I mean, briefly, ever so briefly, while they're up there. It's like Quebecer de Soleil. Ooh, I like that. John, give me Pierre as a contortionist. <laughs> John, thank you. I mean, he's he a Frankenstein. You know, all these parts are you know interchangeable and stuff. Just figure it out. Maybe he just clicked in some uh, some more nimble arms for this particular match. Maybe. So P- so the tower misses Pierre splats. Alpha knocks Polo out because Alpha still got it. We have a Quebecers miscue. Pierre gets up and punches Jacques right in the head. Samu super kicks Jacques and Jacques falls. Through, I mean Pierre and Pierre falls through the ropes. Samoan splash finishes on Jacques. New champions. This bit was magic. I remember watching this first time around, and they cut to uh, they they cut ringside uh, to 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 see the most el- delighted, the most animated oh face. Did he look so animated at this point? Uh, it was Captain Lou, and and the reaction shot was shot maybe chest level up of his face and. Let's just say, had, had the camera panned out, we may have needed a not safe for work tag. <laughs> he did look like he was uh, both graphic and about to cry. <laughs> he looked like he looked like he actually was Super Mario, and there was a fireball coming out. <laughs> what well, I love watching this again, I always remember that shot of Captain Lou just losing his mind after they won the match. But what I love seeing this time round now is a bit older and a bit wiser. As you see the move go down, you see Captain Lou spot the camera so close to him, looking at him, and he kind of positions himself to lose his mind. So he's he's playing the game. Like I enjoyed watching that little setup in the on the side. He's an old TV pro. He knows what he's doing. Exactly. He's Super Mario from off of the telly. He knows where the camera is. And swing your arms through the Mario. <laughs> oh, who's that visiting us, Luigi? It's Sergeant Slaughter. Because of reasons. <laughs> hey, it's my cousin, Mario Mancini. <laughs> it's my cousin, famous actor with a film out. <laughs> That's how it worked, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a pretty good match, actually. I thought it was it was great. Really enjoyed it. No, like, like there was there was some superb moves in there, like just standalone moves, like like, and it was just a very gruff power match. wasn't the greatest match in Raw history, but the moves that that we saw, plus the crowd, ah, it was great fun. This was great. This felt like a moment. We got fireworks at the end as well. Yeah, it was a very entertaining match. It was never boring. It may not have been like the most technically proficient match, but it was fun. It was fun to look at. It was like Moxley and Omega from Saturday. Yeah. Not, I mean, not, I mean, not sense of violence, but I'm, I'm just saying in terms of it never bored you. You were exactly. constantly looking at it. You were gripped the whole time. We're not saying that at some point the head shrinkers got put through a bed of barbed wire. Although that wouldn't have hurt him probably. 
<laughs> no, no, they'd have got straight back up. And we know it can't hurt Pierre either, based on how he is today. <laughs> it's very true. So we have the first King of the Ring report. Ah, oh, Todd Pettingill. Todd Pettingill in a Baco foil jacket that is way too big for him. <laughs> it is like a Ribera jacket with all the logos removed. <laughs> so he tells us the tickets are going fast. I wrote, sure. Oh, yeah, I believe you. Because um, um, this is being held in the same arena that uh, Full Gear was Saturday, by the way. Was it really? Yes, it is. The oh, Baltimore wow. Arena, which is now Royal Farms Arena. There's another arena <clears throat> that they talk about later on, which has a lot of historical significance, which we'll get to a bit later. Okay. Mm-hmm. But but yes, uh, tickets are going fast, which, 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 is, which is carny for, you know, if it, you know, call now and buy the tickets because, you know, you might, because in kayfabe, you might not get them because they're, they're in low supply. But in real life, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> oh, it's classic. It's 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 classic oversubscribed nature to go. Oh, yes. we haven't got many left. We got loads left. <laughs> exactly. This weekend in a qualifying match, IRS faces Scott Steiner, and next week on Raw, Razor Ramon versus Quang. And we find out here that, in case you missed the syndicated shows over the weekend, Razor has lost the Intercontinental Title. More on that later. Oh yeah, loads more on that later on. But forget all that. What's more important is that Art Donovan, football icon, is going to be a guest analyst at the King of the Ring. And Todd says that it's going to be a blast. I'm I, I, My, my catch-22 here, Justin, is normally yourself, myself, and Matthew Gregg, we will do a watch-along for these pay-per-views. But I'm nervous sure. that we might miss some absolute zingers from Art Donovan, <laughs> even when we do. We'll just have the volume turned up. Him and his mother, like we're calling a golf match. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Can we have? A, is there a setting on the network which is just Art Donovan? Um, we just want Art Donovan's feed. W- Nobody else's. <laughs> what I think is amazing is that Art Donovan. He does commentary with Monsoon and Savage, which in, in and of itself is a bizarre team. But they're all they're all passing. Austin's passed on. Art was the oldest one, and he died last. <laughs> I'll say I'll say this in, in defense of Art Donovan. He's actually a very funny guy naturally. He made appearances years ago on the Johnny Carson show, the Night nice Show with Johnny Carson. He, he would tell stories about his football days. He was like he was like a blue collar Rodney Dangerfield. Had a great sense of humor. His stories were very lively. They were hilarious. That's what they saw in him when they're getting him to do this show, and it did not translate well. He was out of his depth here, wasn't he? This wasn't like when we get to it. This wasn't his uh, his wheelhouse. No, he he had no idea what in the hell was going on, and and the, the part that confuses me is that he was a legend in Baltimore. He played for the Baltimore Colts in the in the fifties and sixties. He won a couple titles with them, but it's like if you bring him in because he's a Baltimore legend, how does that benefit the audience in the arena if they can't hear him? Exactly, it means nothing, and and the only audience that benefits is the one that isn't in Baltimore. We didn't, and we didn't benefit. <laughs> no, well, we didn't. We didn't. Uh, it's it's, you know, it's that kind of it's that kind of driving past a car crash type mentality in the sense that you know it's bad, but you can't help but look. If you folks out there in podcast land want to watch this show before us and get a sense of what you're what you're in for, by all means, oh, just don't you, you do that for your own health. 
Yes, it's um, just don't bang your head against the wall too hard. So we cut back to ringside, and somebody possibly with less dams given about the proc today is ringside, and that's Chief J. Strongbow. Does Chief J. Strongbow here to you, <laughs> and I've written here, look burdened with guilt? <laughs> <laughs> Because he's not a real Indian, is he? No, he's not. He's not a Native American, is he? No, he's an Italian American. And he's he's just been roped. I think last time we saw him, he was in like the 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 the, the special ceremony for Tatonka, brought out as one of the all-time great Native American wrestlers, and had a look on his face like, "Oh, I'm a fraud. What am I doing?" And now they've brought him back out again, and he just looks guilty. <laughs> He has a look on his face like this was like this whole segment was court ordered. <laughs> his face is just a picture. It's a it's true. It truly tells a thousand stories. This is the crusty poses for a trading card photo of wrestling segment. <laughs> that's a good, that's that is actually the that's what this is. That, John Strongbow visits relatives in Annapolis, Maryland. <laughs> John, can we get Chief J. Strongbow poses for trading card on a trading card? <laughs> a la The Simpsons. Do a bit of research and then make that. That'd be lovely. Thank you, mate. Strongbow could not give less of a damn. Oh, he was just, he just pay me. Pay me and get gone. So, of course, he cuts his promo about IRS is running the headdress, or as he calls him, and I'm, I'm quoting here, IRRS. <laughs> That's what he said. IRRS. It's like it's ordered every year. He sends he sends his money to the IRRS and the, and, I, and the actual IRS comes after him. Why don't you send us what you're supposed to send us? <laughs> All I did. <laughs> no, you sent it to the IRRS. It's different. And I'm quoting here about what he says. What he says about the Tonga, and and this is the same cadence and tone. Of course, he's on the warpath. <laughs> that is said, spot on cadence and tone. Said with genuine hellfire. That was. <laughs> So Strongbow's going to hang out at ringside for this next match. It's Tatanka versus Derek Domino. Derek <laughs> I was Domino waiting, looks I was like waiting for him to start singing Layla, to be honest with you. <laughs> and Derek Domino looks like uh, looks like, looks like Dave Grohl on a single. <laughs> it's not a bad shout, actually. He does look uh, <laughs> he does look Foo Fightery. And this is a bad time for him because Kurt Cobain just passed on, not long before this. Oh gosh! So, he... so it could have been Dave Grohl. Yeah, he, so, so he's probably wrestling with a bit of a heavy heart here. <laughs> but not a heavy heart-shaped box. While singing Layla. <laughs> Vince gives a shout to uh, Jerry Seinfeld returning 40. It says, and Strongbow's birthday, birthday was recently, although I won't say how old he is. Although he, it, and, and Vince says, and I'm quoting, let's just say it's many moon over Choctaw. <laughs> Oh, God. I just imagine Jay Strongbow hearing that and just rolling his eyes. <laughs> Not making <laughs> eye contact with Vince. Just rolling his eyes, staring straight into the middle distance like he has done the whole time. And, and you hear something off camera, you know I'm Italian, right? <laughs> Burdened with guilt. He's sitting, he's sitting beside the table doing the Andre pose with his, with his arms folded. <laughs> I, li I like Tatanka having him in his corner. That's a nice little <laughs> blast from the past. But maybe choose somebody that could give a damn. Strongbow has. I think Strongbow's like watching like his daughter at some at some ribbon 
it's a ribbon twirling contest when he, he knows damn well that the hockey game's on, on at home and he's missing it. <laughs> yeah, Tatanka, stop twirling your ribbon. Your dad wants to get back for the game. <laughs> so Tatanka tears down Domino's straps and starts chopping him. If he, if he did that at the current angle, he, angle would be invincible, mm-hmm. which would be a mistake. And then just to add, add some life to the show, IRS calls in. Oh, God. <laughs> right, what's this IRS? Because it, it sounded it, it, nothing it, like him. I thought the same thing at first, but I, I, I thought maybe it was just like the phone connection. But it, it did not sound like Mike Rotunda at all. But of course, it could be like a bad phone or whatever. And of course, because he would have been there because he would have been backstage. Well, not really because this was taped. But would they not have taped a couple of episodes of Raw at the same time? Right, but they don't tape the commentary. That's the thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> so Iris is calling in on on this Monday, whenever it is. So, so, that's why they have these topical references. See, we're live. Right, I'm with you, with you. So Iris is calling in whenever... At this point, weren't they in Japan for WWE? Oh, they might have been. Because there was a big Japanese so, tour. I sent you a video of something yes, that happened did. on this tour that we desperately need to talk about at some point. Okay. Okay, well, after this match, we can go into that. Well, that? tell you what, let us do it a bit later on when we have sightings. Okay, okay, good point, good, good point, show good shout. Admin, show admin, right here, right now, live show admin. <laughs> yes, that's a very important note because it involves a future WWE superstar. Mm-hmm. But for the time for the time being, we have Iris calling possibly from Kyoto. <laughs> we have no idea. He's talking about how the Tonga owed a gift tax, damn it. What an intriguing storyline this is. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Domino is actually one hell of a jobber. There's a spot where Tatanka gets whipped into the corner and Domino follows. Tatanka jumps the middle rope and feigns a cross body. Domino stops, lets out a, a, a yelp, and falls to the mat to try and avoid it. And then gets up and acts like, I'm the smartest guy in the world. And Tatanka did actually jump. He is very good. That was a nice little touch there. He is very good. I feel like, though, do you not feel like this match goes on too long? It was like a six-minute match. It felt longer. I mean, it's a three-match show, so maybe something something got cut short. Who knows? Savage name drops Sally Jesse Raphael just to get more pop culture references in, although that's not really... Who in the raw audience is watching Sally Jesse Raphael? Well, nobody at this point. They're all watching Derek and the Domino singing Layla with Tatanka. <laughs> That's true. Tatanka's showing off his mean streak here. And keep in mind, this is supposed to be like a major angle involving one of your top guys. He's pissed because his headdress was destroyed. He wants revenge on IRS. He's showing this mean streak by destroying everyone in his path until he gets the IRS. And here we have Vince discussing King of the Ring tickets and talking about other angles. Yeah. It's like way to put over your talent. I know. It's when they just get distracted, I, I think it kills it. And I even wrote, this is a long match. See? See, I was right. This is a long match. Yeah. And when Tatago started firing up doing the war dance in order to build the finish, Vince says, and I'm quoting here, I look he's getting his dander up. <laughs> That's a great turn of phrase. He's getting his dander up. Yeah, what does is that, is that an actual phrase, get your dander up? I've heard get your gander up. I'm going to double check dander. 
Because I tend I just, to use these phrases and get them wrong quite a bit. Getting I've your dander, it, actually. Getting your dander up is indeed a phrase. Uh, to lose one's temper or become aroused. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder which he was. <laughs> Let me tell you about Blue Chew. <laughs> when you're wrestling Derek Domino, and it's a six-minute match, and you haven't put him away within the first four minutes like you, like you should have, you need to get your dander up with Blue Chew. That way you can clothesline him from the side. Well, I agree, comrade. I, uh, <laughs> oh, goddamn, we like these products. I use them all the time. I was crunching blue shoe on the flight, on the flight to AEW, and uh, the, the air, hostess, air hostess was all like, "Hey, how about some of your barbecue sauce, Jim?" And, uh, well, I couldn't have done it without blue shoe. And blue shoe comes in a very discreet package. You just, uh, you buy it, you take it, and you, and you hit Derek Domino with it, and you put him away very quickly. Yeah, the package is very discreet. I signed for it this morning. It's a big blue box that says, your dick's too small. Uh, you sign <laughs> that off. It comes up on your, it comes up on your, on your receipts for your, for your credit cards as small dick pills. Like, no one knows what it is. We're going to send you a hundred to use for the next two weeks. Use them by two weeks and one day. Otherwise they go off and you might die. During a Derek Dominant match. <laughs> Layla! Get your dander up, Layla. Got me on my knees, Layla! <laughs> because end of the trail finishes, Tonka finally puts away the formidable opponent that is Derek Domino. Oh, God, yeah, I know. What sort of force? I'm sure Iris is shaking in his, in his boots now, knowing that Tonka took 12 minutes to put away uh, Dave Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's an advert for the WrestleMania Revenge Tour. Mm-hmm. And one of the locations right. they're going to for this elaborate house show tour, which is what this is, it's an elaborate house show tour, they say they're going to the Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim. Correct. Is that not where WrestleMania 2000 came from? And Mania 12, yes. Yeah, I thought as much. I just thought, wow, this is a very elaborate house show tour going to the site of two WrestleManias. Well, I mean, they have house shows at the Garden that that's had many a pay-per-view. That's true, actually. That's very true. I never thought of that. In my head, I was going, blimey, imagine Smackville coming from Safe Cofield. <laughs> well, I mean, they've had uh, house shows actually at Esperanto Sky Dome. They just sectioned it off. Really? They have, yes. Well, well, that, sh- that shut me up. <laughs> in fact, if you, if you go back in history a little bit, in 87, 88, they actually had house shows at the Pontiac Silverdome, just sectioned off. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. That's that's yeah, yeah. completely shut me up. That's okay. I mean, they've, uh, I've been to house shows in WrestleMania locations. Uh, Boardwalk Hall, which had Mania's form. I've been there for shows. See, it's weird because I always just thought that, like, like, I know that obviously they only really gravitated to Stadia a bit later on down the road, but there was I always thought right. the arenas were fairly special, but clearly not. Well, I mean, if you're trying to sell out like a 15,000 seat building, if you can get that for a house show, then you're doing great. I guess, yeah, it's very true. It's very true. And in the Attitude Era, they sell out buildings like that, like, you know, routinely. Yeah, not so much Garden anymore, though, like which 20, is a shame. Well, people have kind of caught on the fact that house shows are not special anymore. I mean, it's not even the fact they can't even sell house shows. It's TV they're struggling with as well. I think that's part well, of the reason why Raw and SmackDown were taped together. In Manchester, because there was yeah, a time, there was a time when you would have had a Raw show and a SmackDown show. 
normally in the same venue at least, sometimes in different. But when they're on the UK tour, they would have had separate shows, separate tapings for both, but all in one night. Right. And the crowd gave not one damn about Rusev not getting his dander up. I know. <laughs> he should have used Bluetooth. Comes in discreet <laughs> packaging. Furthermore. <laughs> I don't hear Lashley do a read for it. John. Bluetooth. It gets your dander up. <laughs> John, a Bluetooth advert featuring Rusev, Bobby Lashley, and Lana, please. If you want to know what Bluetooth is, right? Right, they're, 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 um, what's the way to refer Viagra. To they're Viagra. They're like, they're, they're Aldi Viagra. Um, <laughs> Aldi Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> I've Tell been me I'm Aldi. wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I've been to Audi. I've never seen Wang pills. <laughs> They're just you're looking in the wrong places. <laughs> the, the Audi Viagra uh, that that gets shifted on quite a few wrestling podcasts because apparently there's a good there's a good cross there's a good cross promotion between wrestling fans and people with erectile dysfunction. <laughs> it's like the UFC fighter who had the um, sponsor on his that said Condom Depot. <laughs> See, that's cool. UFC are advertising condoms because you have a lot of sex. <laughs> Wrestling fans get Bluetooth because you want to have sex, but your body's not good enough. I want Bobby Lashley to have MMA trunks with, with Bluetooth on it, with um, SaveK.com. <laughs> <laughs> like, like every Conrad sponsor there is. Oh, I don't think I'm coming to StarCast anymore after this. No. <laughs> <laughs> or at least going to Aldi again. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Anyway, on to the King's Court. Enough fun. He goes back to dumping on Piper's pit, which is you know, very conspicuous. Yeah, that's he gives gonna... it a right old chewing, doesn't he? It's so out of place, yet yeah, it's building something. Mm-hmm. He calls Razor Ramona has been because he lost the Intercontinental belt to his guest here. Out comes Big Daddy Cole Diesel. No Sean, because Sean is injured slash testifying in Tampa. <laughs> is that where he is? Yes, according to the Observer. So Sean is not at this taping. Right. So Diesel comes out with the belt. His mullet is on full point here. He stands next to Jerry Lawler, and Vince says, look at the size differential, which stars in his eyes. 
<laughs> There's another moment during this where I think we hear Vince's inner monologue because it shows a shot of uh, of the icy title around the waist of Big Daddy Cool Diesel. And Vince goes, <clears throat> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> It's really creepy. But whether in his head he's going, yeah, he's the champ. That's cool. Oh, that's great. Oh, oh. and then he recrecks himself by going, oh, it'd be better around somebody else's waist. It's like, we saw you, Vince. We saw you, pervert on diesel. Puddle of drool on his crotch. <laughs> in the front of his chair. It's like a waterfall, like, like Niagara Falls. Doesn't the IC belt look good on diesel, though? It does. It, it really does. It's um, not so much of any Vegas, but it does diesel. I like it. I like it. Also, also, is this the night where Big Daddy, Big Daddy Cool is born? I believe it is. Ah. And it was born in the most awkward of ways. Lola goes, hey, can I call you Cool Daddy? It's like, what? What a weird thing for a man Jerry to say to a younger man. Especially since Jerry Lawler is like so smooth when he talks. He's a gifted orator, orator, whatever it is. And Diesel goes, you can call me Big Daddy Cool. <laughs> the most awkward, you know, um, alley-oop slam dunk ever. It was more like a alley-oop smash off the back of the rim and it goes flying at the half court. Kind of, it kind of went round the basketball hoop a little, uh, couple of times before it yes. slowly went in. As it, it barely sunk. <laughs> Diesel's Diesel's still kind of doing the Vinny Vegas Jersey accent or jo or Joyzy accent. Like, hey, I take on all comers. What are you gonna do about it, Razor? Huh? Just some awkward dialogue about him being, you know, he's good. He, you know, I gotta give it to the bad guy, but he's not the baddest guy, if you know what I mean. I think it's weird because when you hear Kevin Nash talk, he has this natural bass resonance. This very naturally deep voice. He sounds like a tough guy when he, if, if you talk to him. I mean, he's seven feet tall. He has, he's got that going for him. He's a big guy. But he's, he's got the very deep voice, Kevin Nash. And yeah, he's doing the sort of higher-pitched, like, eh, we could do about a razor, eh? And his voice is like, wouldn't you want to sound... Wouldn't you want to use that you know, deeper register? You would, wouldn't you? You'd want to go a little bit deeper and a little bit tougher. I mean... When Diesel has a deep voice, it's very gruff and very menacing. And, and here he's kind of kind of like, like uh, he's like Steve Martin in My Blue Heaven. Huh? What do you think of that, boy? Huh? John, can you Photoshop Steve Martin as the Intercontinental Champion, please? If he has the arrow through his head, that's fine. It just means he's gonna, he can absorb a lot of punishment. Thanks, John. Um, I thought if you're going to get Diesel into working the mic, this was probably a, a good safe house in which to do it. Like in a talk segment mm -hmm. with Jerry Lawler. Mm -hmm. That way, and you know, you've got somebody in there who can, you know, well, you know, he has off days and whatever. But generally, Jerry Lawler is a is a metaphorical firm pair of hands when it comes to these segments. So therefore, Absolutely. if he does get a bit lost, then you know you've got somebody there who can steer the steer the the story steady away and get them back to where they need to be. And all told, I thought Nash was fine here. Yeah, was, I thought he was excellent. Was it was just very simple. I'm the man, but you know what? This belt, I like something bigger than that. I want the world title, and, and unless he challenges Bret Hart for the WWF Championship. 
I like Which, that. Um, I like the idea of the IC champion winning the belt and then going, yeah, this is great, but no, I want that one. Yeah, easy. He's very judicious when it comes to uh, acquiring gold. Yeah, and that's that's so, a cool way to be. That's a cool way to be. A big daddy cool way to be. Hey, hey now. Mm-hmm. And speaking of cool, we have some, well, this, well, this part's not cool, but, this, but the anecdote that you're going to share is cool. Uh, we go into the Undertaker sightings because he's like Elvis. But Undertaker, he's actually not missing, Tom, as you pointed out to me. No. He's been found. He has indeed been actually found. He was in Japan of all this time. Uh, I was I was on Twitter the other night, and I shared a tweet with Justin, which shed some light on where The Undertaker has actually been. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks back, uh, when it came up in the Wrestling Observer notes. Uh, but Undertaker at this point is on the WWF tour of Japan. Uh, this was tweeted out uh, the other night by Roy Lucia, who says uh, on the on the 9th of May 1994 in Osaka, WWF ran a tour of Japan. One of the matches was Undertaker versus Jinsei Shinzaki, later known as Hakushi. Before the match, Mr. Toyota, Wally Yamaguchi, unveils a bag which contains the head of The Undertaker. Harkuti's performance here got him a job in the company. Well, why wouldn't it? I know. Now, if you look at look on my Twitter, at Tom Campbell, on Justin's as well, we'll share it when this goes up, at JRH Writing, you can see the video in question. It's pretty, it's pretty grim. And, and for 1994, really shocking. Like, really, like, out of character. Really off colour for 94. I just pulled up the results from the um, four shows I did in Japan at this point. And it's interesting because the attendances were not great. But for two of them, they tried to inflate them to a high degree in the WWE way. The first show in Yokohama did 4,500 fans. The second show in Nagoya's Rainbow Hall, it did 2,500 fans, but it was announced as being 6,735 fans. They almost tripled it. Jeez. I mean, I know that, like, you know, we it was beyond before the Twitter generation, so you probably could get away with lying about stuff like that and nobody would really find out. But that's uh, that's quite the inflation. Osaka did 4,000, announced at 7,120. <laughs> and Sapporo did 2,300 to close out the tour. No, I mean, they're not terrible, but they're certainly not great. Well... There are two interesting matches here other than the one you shared about uh, Taker and, 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 and the future Hakushi. We have Randy Savage's last WF title match ever when he loses to Bret Hart on the first night of the tour. It was an 18-minute match where Savage played the heel and actually submit the Bret sharpshooter. Wow. According to Bret's book, it was uh, Jack Lanza who was the agent for the match. He just told Bret, catch something quick on him, meaning just, just do a quick match and just go over. He's telling Randy Savage to do the honors quickly. Oh. Randy Savage. And Brett said Savage looked really dejected after that, like he'd been really slighted. And Brett just told him, let's just do our match. So they went out there and had their match. It was a great match by all accounts. They get backstage. Landa says, great match, boys. And, and Savage told him to shut up. <laughs> so Lanza never said anything about it. No. According to the story, anyway. And then... In Osaka, they had an 18-man Royal Rumble match, one of the hidden Rumble matches in history. Ooh. 
one by The Undertaker. Here were the entrants besides Taker. Go on. Bam Bam. Mm -hmm. Martell. Mm -hmm. Bob Backlund. Okay. Hakushi. Right. Adam Bomb. Okay. One, two, three, kid. Right. Masashi Ayagi. Okay. Tatanka. Okay. Both smoking guns. Nice and nice. Nobizaru Hirai. Wow, okay. Owen Hart. Cool. Savage. Yeah. Both head shrinkers. Okay. Doink. Right. And Brett. It's all right, that is a rumble. It's not a bad little rumble at all. It's not a bad rumble, that at all. Some good names in there. And the match before that had Tenru beating Yokozuna. I'm sorry. Tenru fighting Yoko to a double count out. Blimey. I wonder how Yoko went down in Japan. I guess, like, I think they tweak his... They do that. I'm all right thinking that initially they tweak his character somewhat when they're in Japan. Well, I imagine you might have to go back to the, you know, he's a Samoan who became a, who became a sumo champion and he had, has adapted well to the culture. Sort yeah. of a... What the, what the idea was supposed to be originally because he was Samoan or Polynesian or whatever they said he was in the early days before uh, becoming just, you know, he's from Japan, he hates America, boo, we have better cars. <laughs> yeah, that garbage. But The Undertaker was in Japan. If only somebody would tell these random people working in good old America because they keep seeing him in places, including one girl who tells her teacher they saw The Undertaker in the playground going down a slide. Wow. John, no, we no, don't, because we'll get in trouble. No. Why? <laughs> you can't Photoshop the Undertaker in a school playground. Photoshop what this girl saw. You're like the um, police sketch artist in a way. Oh, oh God, this is even worse. <laughs> even Undertaker worse. on his <laughs> swing set, swing set, up okay. and down I go. <laughs> because people in the body shop, firefighters, jewelers, they've all seen the Undertaker. Now, if you're hoping this has a fun resolution that's um, dignified and um, quality, then you're w w you're wishing in the wrong place because this you're is going to wrong program. Yes, yeah, this is going to end horribly. In fact, by the time this whole thing ends, four months from now, a comedic icon is going to be besmirched in the midst of this storyline. Yeah, that's very true. And it makes me very sad to say that because I like his movies. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yokozuna in a handicap match versus Scotty Tuhati and a man named Mike Davis. What do we know of Mike Davis? I know he's not the GWF's Mike Davis. I know that much. No, that's what I thought. I didn't look like him. I will say that he had a great physique. Yeah, he looked good. I liked it. He looked all right. And and he did a lot of bumping in this. Oh, he did because uh, he's facing Yokozuna, so you have to bump. Yeah, but there was some real like solid bumping from, from him. He was selling chops like he was being shot. You know, you know what's weird about this match? You have Scott Taylor here. You had Rikishi earlier, and he had Grandmaster Sexy's father in the segment before this. Wow! Almost too cool confirmed. That's cool. No pun intended. And Lola can kind of laugh like his son. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, that's a maniacal laugh. I love that. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal mm -hmm. laugh. Uh, and Vince says we're ready for action as they cut the commercial break. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just before they go to break, um, uh, like Vince McMahon says, 
Oh, he's one of the Yokozuna, one of the biggest in the WWF. <laughs> Almost as big as Earthquake. Anyway, enough on that. Let's go to break. That is awful foreshadowing. That is appalling subtlety by Vince McMahon. I'm just going to casually <laughs> drop in the name of Earthquake, who I've never mentioned regarding Yokozuna ever. But here we are. I'm just going to drop it in there. <laughs> yeah, that's some. It's very, uh, very sledgehammerish. Oh, it's sledgehammer. so sledgehammerish. And not the fun Peter Gabriel way either. More like the unfun Hell in a Cell way with Seth Rollins. <laughs> it blooming well is. When they come back from break, um, they have some promo copy to read on commentary. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's some very sordid movie. I can't remember what it was called now. I know Stephanie Powers was in it. But it's the build-up to it where Vince McMahon says, "Okay, Savage, let's uh, let's see how we get on with this promo copy." And Savage is there going, "Okay, pressure's on!" Like so they've obviously been told that they're crap at doing this and they need to do better. Yes, this is where Savage is now. He's like, <laughs> you ever see, you ever see the Major League movies? No, sadly not. Okay, there are three baseball movies. The first two involve the Cleveland Indians. And how they're progressing toward a possible World Series run. The third one is about their minor league affiliate, or just some minor league affiliate, playing in some crap minor league championship game with like no crowd. This is this is what it's like for, for Savage's career trajectory. The first two movies are him as a wrestler, fighting for the world title, fighting for championship glory. In the third one, he's fighting to get a promo copyright. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> So this is this is like his big victory now. If I get this right, that means I succeeded. Of course, it's, it's a very low ceiling at this point, but I'll take any success I can get. <laughs> and he does close out the promo by saying, "Parental discretion advised." He really owns that voice. Yeah, he savagizes it. <laughs> so for a while here, Yoko's gonna stalls while the guys writhe on the canvas. Because he's beating the crap out of both of them. Sky too hot, he gets thrown outside. Cornette yells, "It's the Yokozuna carry-out service." <laughs> kind of funny. Vince mentions the Hall of Fame, which is going to become a thing soon. Other than Andre already being in. Funny spot here where Mike Davis starts hitting Yoko. Yoko just totally no sells him, and then just bitch slaps him and he falls to his ass. That's what a monster should be doing. Cornette looks so happy at ringside. It's the happiest he's ever been at any WWE show ever. He really does look very, very delighted. And then we go to perhaps the most bizarre rant of all time from Vincent Savage. Where Vince discusses Whoopi Goldberg getting married recently. <laughs> I love and, the WWF at this point. And then Vince somehow segues that into her husband's last name. Being like that of a, of a baseball manager. And then Savage, possibly on, on another page in a different book, talks about how two New York Mets tried to try to solicit the San Diego chicken. <laughs> you know that episode of Friends where she tries to make a trifle and two pages are stuck together. So she makes like half a shepherd's pie, half a trifle. I think that's what happened here. <laughs> He, uh, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> I'm watching this at year two in the morning, and I'm just staring at my TV with complete disgust. 
not outright confusion like I did. <laughs> well, there was that too. It, it, it was the it was discuss it was discussion. Oh, discussion. Disgust and confusion at the same time. Brilliant. That's a great word by Justin. Discussion. It was, it was bafflement. <laughs> bafflement. <laughs> so we get the coolest finishing move ever. Yoko pulls Mike Davis to the corner, stacks the worm on top of him, and proceeds to hit the double bonsai drop. Jeez, R.I.P. Mike Davis. This is why he was never in too cool. He was under all this mass. He was too flat. He was too fake. And then... And to top all that, keep in mind, Mike Davis has been crushed by a 600-pound man with a 220-pound man laying on top of him. That's 800 pounds of weight on him. And Vince laughs. <laughs> Very out of character for Vince to laugh. One, a man nearly dying. And two, isn't Ryoko meant to be the bad guy? Uh, well, yeah. You, I guess Ryoko's the evil one. I think Vince lost then, himself a couple of times in this episode. It seems that way, because... Scotty rolls off, so Yoko just hit another bonsai on the Mike Davis, just to be an ass. And I don't know if you noticed this, but when Mike Davis is writhing on the mat after that last bonsai, and Yoko's just got his crotch in his face and just sitting there on him, I think they added some grunts in post. I didn't notice anything out of character, but... Because I mean... you, you hear like, oh, oh, but Mike Davis's lips aren't moving. I mean, like, if they were going to add a grunt, they should have been the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> yes. no, that would have been too obvious or I won't give him this comedy if I wouldn't <laughs> so you could give Scott Taylor a second bonsai Taylor is grunting so I'm thinking maybe this took his grunts and added them to Mike Davis for some reason just messing around with the grunts that sounds like a little weird intricacy that Vince would get far too into probably mm. then Quake hits the ring you're back down from him so we have our next horse battle, our next Godzilla versus Rodan fight, Yoko how, versus uh, Earthquake. How nice was it to hear a good old shouty 80s promo from Earthquake? Oh, I was delighted. I love Earthquake. His so we come to the, the end of the show. excellent. Like, it's like the whole jumping around back and forth, like guttural shouting, the one thing the people keep asking me about is Yokozuna. Is that all they ask you, mate? That's weird. Anyway, they're going to find out who's the biggest and who's the best. Well, Yoko's the biggest, mate. But who's the best? That's up for debate. And he asked me why I killed that snake three years ago, but I forgot all about that already. I can't stand snakes. <laughs> That's why I made burgers out of them. <laughs> that was an actual segment, by the way, for, for you out there who, who don't know your history. Yep, yep, yep. It was indeed. Look it up. Earthquake killed Jake Roberts' snake by squashing it, and it made burgers out of it on primetime wrestling and served it to Vince, Bobby Heenan, and Lord Alfred. Next week, we're getting a moment, though. We're getting Yoko and Earthquake next week. Not next week. The week after. Oh, okay. Same taping, though. Right. So, so see, he does challenge into a match, but next week we have Razor versus Quang in the uh, qualifying match for the King of the Ring. And because they had about 40 seconds to fill here, Vince asked Savage what the King of the Ring means to him. As he won it in 87, but he can't talk about that part. Go on, mate. Hit me with, he, hit me with the line. He says, oh, it's like the 24 hours of Le Mans. At first, I thought he said 24 hours of Le Mans. And I'm thinking, like, well, a full day of breathing exercises would wear you out. So, yeah. <laughs> he says, we're swimming in the English Channel. And that's it. That's that's your show. He says, does he go, swimming in the English Channel? 
underwater. <laughs> I didn't catch that part. That As opposed tired. to what? Like when you float over the top of it. Well, I mean, you. I mean, Jesus can walk on water. You're about to say you've swam in the English Channel. I mean, I mean, I have. But <laughs> that's beside the point. How was that? Cold. I, I can imagine. Ice, but I had an ice cream afterwards, so it was fine. <laughs> Hey, before we split here, I, I got to point out one awesome note. When, when they were flying back from Japan, they did a house show in uh, Honolulu on May 12th. And Don Morocco was guest ring announcer for the show. What? Oh, well, hang on, I'm not done yet. Hedgehoggers beat the smoking guns in a match. and when, But when announcing them, Morocco called them the shooting guns. <laughs> That's amazing. You know how happy that makes me? That's amazing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, by the way, that um, that Arrowhead Pond show you mentioned, it drew it drew eleven thousand fans. What? More fans than than pretty much the entire Japan tour. Probably combined. Jesus. Uh, res- results real fast. Adam Bomb beat one two three kid. Alonzo yeah. Blaze retained the belt over over Alelani Kai. Hedgehoggers beat the Smoking Guns. Luger beat Crush with a roll up because that's a bit that's a big modern finish. Uh, Jarrett beat Doink. Irish beat Tatanka, Yoko beat Quake, and Brett beat Owen. Good show. Not a bad show that, at all. That is that is better than the card for WrestleMania 11. Well, well, geez, I mean, I've been to indie shows that have better cards than Mania 11. It's a sad state of affairs, that is. So we've got um, Quang versus Ramon next week. Yes, Razor and Savio. Oh, God, yeah. That's a little history, little footnote there, isn't it? A little cheeky footnote. A little bit, yes. Oh. I bet Quang qualifies. What about you? Oh, I reckon Quang is going to go all the way in the King of the Ring and then lose out to Mabel from Men on a Mission in the final. They wouldn't do that. That's oh. stupid. Do you know what? I'm right. I'm. You're right. You're right. I, that's unthinkable. Inconceivable! I mean, especially like in a big East Coast city like Baltimore. I mean, can, can you imagine some like old W Stronghold crowd they try to pull that on? Oh, do you know what? I, I feel stupid for even saying it. You're stupid be- for even saying it. They would never do that. <laughs> he is at JRH writing on Twitter. I am at Tom Campbell on Twitter. Collectatively, we are at Cultaholic on Twitter. Don't forget to join us. We will see you next week. Yo, Kazuna, who's biggest and best? I can't stand snakes, but I love the shooting guns. <laughs> love you, bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
for all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes. Search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 